This reading is from the Gospel of Matthew, the 21st chapter. It begins with the 33rd verse. Listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard, put a fence around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. Then he leased it to tenants and went to another country. When the harvest time had come, he sent his slaves to the tenants to collect his produce. The tenants seized his slaves and beat one, killed another, and stoned another. Again, he sent other slaves, more than the first, and they treated them in the same way. Finally, he sent his son, saying, They will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and get his inheritance. So they seized him, threw him out of the vineyard, and killed him. Now when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? They said to him, He will put those wretches to a miserable death and lease the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the produce at harvest time. Jesus said to them, have you never read the scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing and it is amazing in our eyes. Therefore I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people that produces the fruits of the kingdom The one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces and it will crush anyone on whom it falls. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard this parables, they realized he was speaking about them. They wanted to arrest him. But they feared the crowds because the crowds regarded him as a prophet. Here ends the reading. So just for a moment, I want you to think about what you're proud of. Think about your life, where you come from, what you've done, where you've been. What are you proud of? People are proud of all kinds of things, right? Maybe we're proud of where we come from. Maybe we're proud of the country or the county or the area. Maybe we're, we're proud of the lineage of our people and what our people have, have done, our people, the people in our families dating back to generations. Maybe, maybe we're proud of the family associations that we have, or, or maybe for those of us who've, who've had particular schooling, we're, we're proud of the institutions that we've gone to. I mean, especially in a big-time collegiate areas, there's, with sports especially, there's proud things that happen. Uh, last night, Virginia was playing Clemson, and I was out in the West End, and I saw a lot of Virginia flags flying very proudly. Are we proud of our tribe, or are we proud of our class status, that maybe we started out somewhere, and we've risen up because of the hard work that we've done? Maybe we're proud of the family that we've created, the children that we're raising. There are all kinds of things to be proud of, and 
And I think it's interesting here that Paul is dealing really with the things that people might be proud of, that he might be proud of. In this particular section, what he has been writing about is that there is a group of people within the Christian or the newly formed Christian community, they're not even called Christians yet, in this newly formed community that the Jewish side of that are saying, well, if these Gentiles, these people who aren't traditionally Jewish, if they don't come from that lineage, and and for the men, if they have not been circumcised, which was the sign of entering into that community and being part of that community, if they aren't circumcised, then these Gentile men who come in to the community and want to follow Jesus and follow the way, they need to be circumcised first. Because that is the mark. They need to become Hebrews. They need to become Jewish people, people of the Jewish faith, and have that mark as they enter into the way. This is a huge controversy. And so Paul's addressing this because Paul really believes that circumcision now is this external mark, but that, that the time for these externals has passed. And that the circumcision, if you will, that he uses this metaphor throughout the scriptures, that the circumcision needs to be of our heart. That our allegiance to the community or whatever needs to be shown, not in some exterior forms, not in just adherence to some letter of the law, but through our adherence to the intent of the law, that our hearts need to be changed, not our physical bodies to show that we are part of the community. And so Paul talks about if anyone has reason to be confident in the flesh, because this is a fleshly thing that happens, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I'm a member of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor, as to righteousness, blameless. I am proud of these things. Look how good I am. Look at what I've become. I had this lineage, I've followed through on the lineage, and I've taken it to the nth degree. Don't disrespect me, he could be saying. Don't mess with me. He could rely on that. He could have stayed a persecutor of the church. He could have just just stood on that foundation, but something happened to him that changed his mind about all of those things. For many of us who identify as white in our culture today, especially in this year of 2020, those of us who are paying attention to what's happening in terms of the races and how our culture treats those who are people of color, we are being challenged to look at this word called privilege. The way that for those of us who identify as white, that doors are cracked open for us or maybe wide open for us in ways that they aren't for many, if not all, people of color. And the way that our laws and our systems are designed to give us openings and to give people of color closed doors. And that's challenging to us because For so many of us, if not all of us, who have 
move from wherever we grew up in, whatever family that we've come from, to earn the things that we have. Maybe we've, maybe we've earned degrees. We've gone to college. We've earned a degree. Maybe, we, maybe we've even earned advanced degrees. Maybe we've created something. Maybe we've, maybe we've built a business. Or maybe we, we came into an organization and we, we were a role player and we worked hard and we cared for the people around us and we were able to move up and become management. So now we're given responsibility to care for other people and to guide things. And for some of us, as we read about white privilege and, and then this other word that has a lot of, a lot of emotionality around it, white supremacy, there are some of us who are like, well, I earned that. I'm proud of that. And what I want to say to you who are struggling with that is that you don't have to disavow the hard work that you've done. That's not what acknowledging this word privilege is about. And for those of us as Christians, we're called to something a little bit different. A little bit different. So I want you to think about privilege through the lens of this parable in Matthew now. Did you hear it? The landowner planted a vineyard, put a fence around it, dug a white press, built a watchtower, then leased it to tenants. Metaphor. God created the earth. Specifically here, Jesus is, the metaphor is, God created the people, gave them, called Abraham to be the father of this, Abraham and Sarah to be the father and mother of this great nation, gave them a charge and a call to tend to the vineyard, which was really all the nations of the earth, but first and foremost to care for those around them. And the tenants, what did they do? They thought, oh, Look at what we've done. This is ours now. They forgot that they were given this place. They forgot that it was leased to them, that they, they were not the owners of it, but the stewards of it. And so when when it came time for them to give of the fruits of the vineyard to the owner so that the owner could reap the harvest, when the owner sent his servants, his, his slaves, the metaphor, of course, is that God sent prophets to the people to remind them about God, to remind them of what they were building, of what they'd been given and how they were called to be as a people that the people disregarded the prophets, the people killed the prophets, the people stoned the prophets, the people beat the prophets. And so the owner continued to send slaves even more. Again, God sent more prophets to call the people to righteousness, to call them to, to this right relationship of, of humility before God, of understanding, yes, that their work is producing fruit, and that they have been given so much. 
And so again, the metaphor, he sends his son. He sends his son and the people say, oh, well, let's get the inheritance. This is where for me the metaphor sort of breaks down a little bit because how in killing the son do you get the inheritance of the father? But I'm not really sure how that works, but that's just a question that I like to ask about these things. I'm not questioning Jesus's metaphorical and parable powers. Like he's, this is his parable, not mine. You know, I probably would have told it differently, but again, anyway, that's just one of those things. So the question then is, as they were given this, they decided it was theirs, that they'd earned it, and that no one was going to take it away from them. And the owner, God, was not asking to have things taken away from them, for them to become less than who they were, but the owner was just calling them to right relationship in terms of this steward and owner relationship. And I think for so many of us, so many of us who identify as white, we're afraid that as we talk about these issues, we're going to lose something. That what we have is going to be taken away in some way. We get so accustomed to, to life as it is, or as we were raised to think it ought to be, or as our heritage or our lineage says that it should be, that we can miss what is most important. Or sometimes we get caught up on chasing some good that we think is good that ultimately doesn't really bring us alive. We're we're chasing some idea of the great life, the good life, the wonderful life, the American life, that it numbs and it slowly degrades our spirit. And we accept our role, and boy, but if somebody's going to take that away, or we think somebody's going to take that away, we will fight. And if God sends prophets to us to call us to righteousness, to call us to a different way of thinking, we're ready. We're ready to stone them. We're ready to kill them. We're ready to push them away. And for Christians... In some places, we can seek to adhere to the letter of the law, like Paul talks about here. We can even, in our country, seek to bend that law to our benefit. But what about the intent of the law? What about the intent of God behind the law? That's, that's where Jesus was calling the religious leaders, the righteous people within the Hebrew community. That's where he kept calling them back to. You're doing these things on the letter of the law. You think that you're pleasing God, but you're missing the point. You're acting like these tenants in this vineyard. I mean, we know that laws in our country are made, we seek to make them anyway, to keep each other safe right? And to keep certain people from taking advantage of other people. And we also know that laws in our country, as they're being revealed to us now, we know that there are certain laws and ways and and things that are designed to keep certain people in certain places. And we have to acknowledge that, I believe. And it's hard. It's not easy. 
I mean, the religious leaders, I mean, they, they were so angry about the fact that Jesus is calling them on the carpet, as we might say, that they wanted him arrested. They wanted to get rid of him because it's hard to hear this. It is not the easy path to confront our unspoken assumptions, to confront the systems that have benefited us even in ways that we maybe didn't even understand. I mean, I think that that for me is one of the big things is there are things that I'm seeing now that I just didn't see before. I didn't know and I didn't realize. But my eyes are being opened Some of the prophets of God have been speaking to me throughout books and and through people that I know and and calling me to see things differently and to, to begin to think about things differently. And it is not easy work. I would rather find the loophole to exempt myself from this. But we Christians, we followers of Jesus, we Trinitarians are called to something more than meeting laws or, or living out of the heritage and relying on that, being so proud of the things that we've earned that we aren't willing to set that aside so that we can help others earn whatever they need in this life to become who they need to be, to develop a community that helps all people rise up to become who they can be, no matter what their color, no matter what their sexual orientation, no matter who they are, no matter where they come from, no matter if they're old or young. We're called to examine ourselves. We're called to examine our motives. We're called to use this life as the owner sees fit as God calls us to. Not that we might somehow through our work bring the kingdom in, that is ultimately God's work, but that we might be people who can have our eyes opened, who can welcome the prophets to us, even as hard as those words might be for us, that we can welcome those things and we can be challenged and we can continue to work in this world for the kingdom of God. Because in the kingdom, none of us lose anything. And in fact, what we've been given in Christ, what we've been given in Christ is everything. And so we press on. Our life's work is to press on in the way of Jesus Christ. That we might live in his community, that we might live in his love, that we might live in his righteousness, which has already been given to us. And we're going to be frustrated. We're going to be frustrated by ourselves, by the way we respond to things. We're going to be frustrated by our friends and how they respond. We're going to be frustrated by other believers and how they are doing things in their churches and communities. We're going to be frustrated by our government and our leaders But we press on so that justice might roll down like waters, righteousness like a mighty stream, to set free the captives, to loosen the bonds of injustice and oppression on those who are shackled in our economy, in our community, 
in our culture. We press on. Why? It's this simple and this hard. Because Christ pressed on. Even to his death. He pressed on that we might be gifted with his righteousness, with a new life, that we might come to understand more and more the gifts that we are given in each and every moment, and our work is an expression then of Christ's righteousness, of Christ's justice that is in us through the Holy Spirit. And so, may you be challenged. May you question all of the things in your life, but may you know that you are held in Christ's righteousness and love and grace and mercy and that your call, our call, is to press on. For we have received the prize of the heavenly call in Christ Jesus. We press on. Amen.